Welcome to DaVinci's Discourse, where the minds of today's most innovative entrepreneurs are unveiled and explored. And my name is Kyle Campbell, your guide on this journey into the depths of the entrepreneurial psyche. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dive into the minds of the greats. This is DaVinci's Discourse. Rich, you know, tell me about yourself, brother. I'm curious about you. Uh, What do you do, man? Yeah, so I, um, I have a ad agency. Um, I started in marketing like 15 years ago, going door to door. I sold windows and roofing and then um, did that for five years. And I was like in my early twenties and, you know, it was great making six figures a year, knocking doors, selling windows and roofing. It was like amazing. I like all made more money than all my friends. And it was like, Hey, this marketing thing's pretty cool. But you know, when I reached my mid twenties, you know, I wanted to like settle down, get married, have a family, have some kids. And my dad was like, Hey, you can't keep knocking doors for the rest of your life. So I was like, yeah, you're, you know, you're kind of right. I'm kind of getting burnt out on it. He's like, Hey, I know this guy. He's a financial advisor. You should talk to him. Then I ended up joining his firm and became a financial advisor and started my own agency as a financial advisor. And the financial advisors just had this old school marketing tactics, you know, like they, we would invite people to dinner seminars and uh, convince them to invest with us after like a steak dinner. And I knew that there had to be a better way to get leads and appointments for my financial practice. So I started researching Facebook ads at this time, you know, like right at the beginning stages of Facebook ads and Google ads and started to find some success getting clients all over the country um, for my financial practice. And I came across a bunch of different clients that were business owners. And they were like, hey, like, you know, I found you on Facebook. Can you run Facebook ads for me? And so I ran ads for like dentists, realtors, mortgage brokers. And then I had a solar company that ended up like tripling their revenue in a year from using my Facebook ads. And I thought, hey, this industry is really cool. The solar industry is really cool. It's um, growing rapidly. This was in like 2016. And I had this great case study. So I built a brand called Solar Exclusive. And we got like 20 solar clients in a month. And I was just so overwhelmed with the amount of work that I was like, you know what? I got to make a decision. Am I going to do this full time or am I going to stay a financial advisor? So I decided to sell off my financial practice and just focus on the agency full time. And that was 2017. And then we built it you know, basically from a side hustle to a nine figure brand where we're now the largest independent marketing agency in solar, residential solar. And I learned a lot over the last, um, you know, six, seven years doing that. And, you know, it was 2019 and we got that dreaded message one day. We had like 120 clients at that time. Like we were at 300 grand a month in revenue. We got that dreaded message from Facebook saying, you've been restricted from advertising even shut down from uh, being able to advertise using Facebook. And we lost wow. all of our clients in like one week. And so I laid off my team and I moved across the country with my wife and our dog. And we decided to move to Vegas from New Jersey. And I was like, you know, I'm actually going to start a different business. You know, am I going to do something else? And I thought, no, I'm going to restructure the agency a different way where I don't have to be like, pulling my hair out because at that point I was working like 16, 18 hour days. I ended up in the hospital because I was like so stressed out, like not eating right, not sleeping right, drinking way too much caffeine. Ended up in the hospital, just kind of like had to like recover. 
And then I thought, hey, I'm going to like restructure my agency so that I don't have to work as hard. So I can work like 10, 15 hours a week. And I'm going to build this agency from scratch again, but I'm going to do it the right way this time. And so at that time, I had a lot of time to think because I didn't have any clients and I was like rebuilding from scratch. And I decided to restructure my agency opposed to the traditional structure, which is like you have salespeople and you have customer service people and you have people running ads. I found that the salespeople would always overpromise to the clients. They would always overpromise and we would underdeliver because the clients had these unrealistic expectations. And the customer service department didn't really know how to handle those objections because the salespeople set them up for failure. They didn't wow. know how to handle like the complaints and everything. So I decided to restructure it, something I called the residual exponential agency process. Um, now that I have patented it, it's a different way of structuring an ad agency where the salespeople actually are kind of like franchisees where they also do the customer service. So each salesperson has their own book of business and they manage the clients and they get paid a residual commission for how long the client stays on board. So if the client renews, they get paid a commission. If the client renews, they get a commission. So this solved the problem of the salespeople overpromising because now they were trying to give realistic expectations because they knew the only way they could make a lot of money is if the client stayed on board long-term. And this increased our retention from like 35% to 90%, like mm. overnight. And um, we went from zero, like I think one month we were at 71 grand a month. If I remember like one of the first months. And then we went to 2 million per month in 12 months. So in one year we went from 71,000 a month to 2 million a month. And that's when we really scaled in 2019 and 2020. And um, then we went from 2 million a month to 4 million a month just by using this same structure. And I just kind of had my head down with my agency, not really done much other like in, in the coaching space. But I decided to launch like a mini course in 2021 where I donated all the proceeds to charity and just told people about this residual exponential agency process. And Alex Hormozzi joined it, Joel Irway, Rob Bailey, um, you know, all these like really big names like Cole Gordon. Cole Gordon was at like 150 grand a month when he joined. And then he went up to like three and a half million a month from this same strategy by restructuring the salespeople to be account managers, to be mm. managing the accounts. And so when I saw that, you know, I was still like busy working on my agency. And when I scaled it to 4 million a month, I was like, you know what? Like, I think other agency owners really need to know about this structure. They need to know how to structure their ad agency this way. Because I only work 10, 15 hours a week in my agency and I have time to coach now. So I decided to launch Advisory. That's ad-visory. So it's like a play on words, Advisory, but we put a dash in between ad and advisory. So it's like visionary ads is what it means. Visionary ad agencies. So I really think this type of visionary structure where you restructure the agency, where you're kind of a silent owner, you don't have to deal with clients, you don't have to deal with running ads, you don't have to deal with the sales and like your sales team kind of manages all those things. It's like franchisees. And I think it was a brilliant idea. And a lot of people took took the idea and ran with it like, like Cole Gordon did. And um, now I just teach uh, agency owners how to implement this in their business. And we have a bunch of different um, coaching programs for agencies starting out you know, maybe just breaching the 10 grand a month mark. Uh, we have other programs for people that want to get to hundred grand a month, 200 grand a month. And then we have like our million dollar month blueprint, which is to get them to a million dollars a month. And um, I have an inner circle where I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and people have just been having phenomenal results and it's been a great time. Like I really enjoy coaching and teaching. And uh, basically the model was around 
the financial advisor model because when I was a financial advisor, I really liked the idea of like, hey, I got the residual commission every time that I have a client invest with me. Every time I manage their investments every month, I get a piece of their investments as a little residual commission. So that's where the idea originally came from. It was like restructuring an ad agency in that structure. And that's really where we saw our success. Oh, man, damn, like incredible. Um, what's the difference between the typical ad agency and the way that you would restructure it? Because what I'm finding fascinating about what you're saying is how you transitioned a salesperson into a, an account manager. And that's what makes all the difference. So what's the what's the difference between a, a general salesperson and an account manager? What does that transition transition look like? Yeah, so there's a number of things. Number one, salespeople are infamous for like they have commission breath, right? They want to make a sale. They want to make yeah. a commission. So <laughs> so they're gonna say whatever they need to say to like make a sale. And so when you're just paying salespeople a commission or just convincing someone to sign up, well, then they're going to say whatever's necessary to get them to sign up. And even it may not be reality. It may not be what's really going to happen when they sign up with the agency. So I think that's the big mistake that many agencies make. Uh, number one, agencies don't have enough salespeople. Most agencies I talk to have like one salesperson, or maybe they're doing all the sales themselves as the founder, which is just not a really good way to run a business. And, you know, when the salespeople are overpromising all the time, that's where it creates a lot of churn and clients canceling. And that's why most agencies have like 30, 40% retention is because they just don't know how to set up the clients for success from the beginning of the relationship. So by having the salespeople actually manage the accounts, well, now they know whatever they say to the client, like they're going to have to eat those words, you know, a few months down the line, they're going to have to prepare the clients in a better way, but they're you know, adequately instructed in the beginning of like how the relationship's going to go. Right. And that creates long-term retention, creates long-term growth. Um, and then the other thing is, is that salespeople are infamous for turnover. Like they're always switching different roles. Like they always go from one offer to another offer because they see some other thing they want to sell and they think they can make more money over here than over there. But when you have salespeople at your agency that are paid on a residual basis, like many of my account managers are making 10 grand, 20 grand, 30, 40 grand a month in residual income, it's very hard for them to leave because they have this cushy residual income right. coming in every month mm. and they don't want to leave. So like I've never lost a salesperson who's been with me like longer than a few months in a trial period. So I fired some, but no one's ever left. So most of my account managers are with me four, five, six years, some of them two or three years, you know, I've never lost one because it's a very sticky role where they get this cushy residual check and it helps them too, because when you're a salesperson, you're like in this feast and famine mentality where it's like, Hey, like I have to make a sale to pay my bills. And then they, they make these big commissions and they spend it all. And then they have to go make another sale again. It's like, always oh, you're starting from zero every single month, every single day over again. And that really hurts salespeople's mentality because sales is a very mental game. It's a very much like about mental toughness and keeping a positive attitude. And when you're always like starting from scratch, it's easy to get into ruts. And once you get into a rut in sales, then you just leave and go find another sales job. So what this does with the residual income coming in, the salespeople are very relaxed. Like they're not, they don't feel like they have to make a sale. Like they're really removed from the end result like they're able to and that comes across in their tonality in the way they speak in their body language 
because they know they don't need this sale to like pay their bills. Like they already have the residual income built up. Yeah. Like when they're starting out and they have to build their book of business, it's like a little stressful. They have to build it up. But once they get to a point where they're making like, you know, 10 grand a month in residuals, like it's, you know, they don't mind if they have a bad week because they know they're going to get a nice check at the end of the week in residual income. So it kind of actually improves sales overall because the salespeople don't have this like stressful mentality where it's like, I have to make a sale to pay my bills. You know what I mean? Uh, and that comes off as kind of like a nonchalant salesman where they don't care about the result, which increases the conversion rate because a salesperson exactly. who's not desperate for a sale is going to make more money than somebody who's like, man, I got to make a sale right now. Otherwise I can't feed my family, you know? And so people can feel that kind of a vibe off somebody if there's desperateness to that. Um, what about the difference between the one to million dollars a month that the million dollar a month blueprint that you've gotten and the ten thousand dollars a month uh, the basic one what are the differences between the two programs yeah so the one that is like the lower ticket program uh, i say lower ticket but it's like it's still high ticket but um yeah. it's like the lower priced one that's for agencies that are like already at 10 grand a month and want to get to 100 grand a month so okay. we don't really like teach people how to start an agency i think like a lot of coaches in the agency space like they'll reach 20 grand a month 30 grand a month 50 grand a month maybe 100 or 200 grand a month and then they'll quit their agency and then just focus on teaching other people how to start an agency and get to 20 30 50k a month right there's not many coaches that have like reached nine figures Right. that are still doing it. Like my agency is still running. Like I'm still running it every day. I'm like showing people like, Hey, this is what we're doing right now in our agency. And like, you should follow us. But like the 10 K a month is just like a barrier. Like, Hey, if you're at 10 K a month, like you're doing six figures a year. That's great. But like you want to get to hundred K a month to get to seven figures a year. And that program is more designed around like getting more appointments, setting up the account manager structure, um, you know, making sure that you get enough bookings for them, how to train them, how to hire them, and then ultimately how to, um, you know, get more sales. Like it's a really sales focused uh, program, like teaching them how to improve their sales process, hire these account managers and get to a hundred grand a month really quickly. And then the million dollar month blueprint is more for like advanced agency owners who are already at like 50 grand or a hundred grand a month, but they want to get to a million dollars a month. And it's just more advanced in the sense of like more in-depth training for the account managers how to find the right people. Uh, we have a behavioral assessment tool for like hiring that we provide everyone. It's a proprietary behavioral assessment that like really helps you hire the right people because really the point of the residual exponential agency process, the REAP process, is that you need your team to do the scaling for you. Like that's how all successful businesses operate. Like the business owner is just an owner. He's not an operator. So you really need like the right team members on your staff to be able to build this to a million dollars a month. And we show you how to build that out and structure that, um, go in depth on like um, commission structures and like how to structure your offer and all those things to like get to a million dollars a month. And then it's also like one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. Whereas the lower program, like I have some of my team members managing that one to like help people get to a hundred grand a month, but like I'm not actually involved in the coaching. So, I mean, it's all of my philosophies and all my strategies, but my team is actually implementing the Q&A calls and like running those. Whereas the million dollar month blueprint, you actually get one-on-one -on -one access to me and I actually hold your hand through the whole process. In our inner circle, which is like the high level program in the million dollar month blueprint, like they get access to me on Boxer. Um, they can ask me questions anytime. Like they get one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, 
but um it's like a really high level thing like we actually had one guy he said like he joined sam oven's quantum mastermind he joined russell brunson's inner circle and like those were like more expensive than my program and he said he got more value in two weeks in my program in the million dollar month blueprint that he got in both of those programs combined Wow. So I just really like to over deliver. I like to over deliver, just really like give everything. Like all of my SOPs are in there. Like you can just take everything in my agency and just like duplicate it for yourself. But I think it's really helpful for a lot of agencies to like look at it a different in a different way. Cause I, I kind of come to things like in a very unorthodox kind of way, as you can kind of hear, like with the the account manager structure, like no other agency does that. There's mm-hmm. like so many other things that are like unorthodox that we do. Like, and it's just like when you set up the agency in such a way, like when I did this, like I was like, all right, I, I scaled to 300 grand a month. I was successful, but I was like overworking, working myself to death. And I just literally had the time to think, okay, I didn't like all these things about my agency. So how do I restructure my agency? So all these things are not a problem anymore. Because like Sam Ovens used to say, like agencies are sweatshops. Like it's a sweatshop. You should just build a coaching program. It's so much easier. It's higher profit margins. You don't have to be stressed out all the time with your agency. And like, I thought like, you know, that's true. It is easier to scale a coaching program. It is higher profit margins. It is all these things. But like, what if I just solve these problems in my agency? Because I love the agency model because it's high ticket and it's recurring high ticket revenue, Mm, which is amazing. You know, it's an amazing business model. So I just wanted to figure out how can I fix all these things? and structure it so that I can take advantage of the model, but not be stressed out. And so there's a lot of other unorthodox strategies that we utilize that like just take our agency to the next level to get to those million dollar months. And that's all included in the million dollar month blueprint as well. Right on, man. Let's say that I've got an agency, which I do, by the way, we run an AI agency where we run the marketing using AI for companies uh, to acquire leads. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I want to let you know that I've got a free book that you can get if you want to tap into more of these resources. And you can get that for free at kylesbook.com. Back to the podcast. And so let's say that I've got an agency and what would you walk me through step-by-step in terms of growing it to that million dollar a month point? Can we get, uh, get into the weeds a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, obviously the first structure is like building out like your team, right? Like you need, you need a team built out for like every aspect of the agency. Like one thing for us, like we run ads, right? So like I had a team of like 10 digital marketers in house and, it was just like babysitting them, going to the office every day. Like I started my agency to like be able to be a digital nomad, right? I was like, oh, I'll just make 20 grand a month and just travel the world and like have a family, work from home, do my thing. But then I realized, hey, this agency thing's like pretty hard. Like you lose a couple of clients, like now you're down to 10 grand a month. You yeah. know, it's like not as easy as people say <laughs> when they first told us about it, you know? So I was like, I need to scale this. So I scaled it to 300 grand a month originally before we got shut down. But I had like 10 digital marketers in-house at the office. And I was like, hey, man, I have a job again. Like I'm like babysitting all these digital right, marketers. Right. And so I I outsource the ads now. I found like a really good partner to outsource the ads to that people get access to in our program. And, um, you know, we outsource all that. It's actually cheaper for us to outsource it than it was to have people in-house. So, I mean, the delivery, like if you have an AI agency, the delivery is probably, you know, pretty simple i mean you have like your ai software like whatever you're doing for that like you just have to like get a team put together for like the delivery of the service the fulfillment of the service at scale um but i wouldn't start there 
I would start with the account managers, with the salespeople, because I'd much rather sell a ton of my service and then figure out how to deliver it and fulfill it later than like build out all the fulfillment, build out all the delivery, like get everything 100% perfect on the back end. And like, then it, like I'm not making sales. So like I'd really focus more on the sales team first, like finding A players, building out some type of commission structure where it's like on a residual basis where you could still maintain really good profit margins, but you're going to have to give away some of your profit. Like, like, you know, um, with my agency, like I pay my account managers 15% of our retainers. Mm. And that 15% is like almost half of like my bottom line profit. Like, you know, we're at 4 million a month. Like I'm only profiting like between like 14 and like 23% on any given month. But like I give like basically half of my profit to the account managers and they have no expenses. And like, but I just see it as like, I'd much rather have a $4 million a month agency that is more stable to me than having like 200 grand a month agency, right? Like just think of it this way. Like if you had 300 grand a month and you had 50% profit margins, that's 150,000 a month in profit. But I'd much rather have a million dollar a month agency with 15% profit margins, same profit, 150 grand, but it's a million dollars in revenue because if you're at a million dollars in revenue a month, if you go through a bad month or a bad quarter, you can bounce back from that. Like you could adjust things and restructure things to like survive. But if you're at 300 grand a month and you lose like half your clients over a quarter, well, now you're down to 150 grand a month. Like pretty soon you have a couple more bad weeks, like you're out of business. So like I'd much rather build a more stable agency, even though some of my profit margins are not as good, but we do a lot more volume. So you really want to focus on like getting the volume up. Like how do you massively scale this? And the way I did it was by finding other agency owners who were burnt out. So like, you know, I just went into Facebook groups. Um, so like, Hey, any agency owners who are just kind of like fed up with their agency, any previous agency owners who like love the agency model, but just couldn't, they didn't like the risk of like running ads and doing everything themselves. And like, I found like really good people who love the agency model were really good at sales, but just were tired of the delivery, tired of the fulfillment, tired of running, mm the risk running the risk of chargebacks with stripes running the risk of paying for their own paid ads all those things and i literally built my agency with um six competitors as account managers like they were all previous agency owners and they came on board and just started scaling my agency i said hey how would you like to make 10 20 30 40 50 grand a month but have no expenses and like most agency owners would like love that like all they have to focus on is sales and customer service that's it we take care of everything else in the back end. We provide them all their appointments and everything. Wow. So um, it's a much like smarter model for a lot of these people who were, you know, they might've been at 30, 40 grand a month in revenue in their agency, but like their profit margins were only 10 or 20 grand anyway, because after all the expenses and sometimes they had a couple of bad chargebacks, like they were in like really dire straits. So, you know, I think, you know, finding other people that could scale it for you and are, open to that model is like a good shortcut because they already have experience in the agency space. You don't have to train them from ground zero, but it's really building the team. Like the team is essential and I've never lost an employee. I've had to fire some. I've never lost some over the last seven years because they just love working for our company. And I found the right people like where I could change their lives. Like I, People always think it's crazy when I tell them I built a 50 million a year agency with two waiters, a social worker, uh, six competitors, two grandparents, mm -hmm and a flight attendant. Like wow. I took like regular people who were like huh. 
A players, like with my behavioral assessment, I was able to tell that these people are going to be like amazing workers. They're going to be incredible assets to the team, but they're just in dead end jobs. They're like waiters who like, like they're geniuses, but like they're just stuck in a dead end job because they don't know how to get a good job. And they, maybe they studied something that was irrelevant in college. So they can't really get into the workforce, but I actually looked for these people and like recruited these types of people and like sifted through thousands of potential candidates and dozens and dozens of interviews to find these people and like give them an opportunity where I could train them from scratch. Like my chief operations officer, he was a waiter, but he like knows everything about the Roman empire. He's like an absolute genius, but he was just in a dead end job for like 12 years after college because like he didn't know how to get into the psychology space because he studied psychology. So like, like he couldn't really use that major in any, in any way. So he just kind of got stuck in a waiter job in Vegas and um, now he's chief operations officer. Now he's like an expert in all things automation, backend technology, coding, all that stuff. Like he's like a genius. So you know, there's a lot of people that you could find for your agency that kind of like are not necessarily you would think qualified, but you can make them qualified and they'll be dedicated to you for life because you change their life. They make more money than they ever made before and they're assets of a team they'll never leave. And um, you don't have to be worried about them like leaving and starting a competing business because they're not that type of person. So I'm really about building a team, like building the right team. And that's like where I would start because you can't really do it. And sometimes it's like a really difficult conversation because like some of the students like have their current team members take the behavioral assessment and they see like, wow, like some of the people on my team are like not good people. Like I need to like get new people. And like, that's a difficult thing to like have to consider, but like your team really is what could hold you back from reaching a million dollars a month. And it has to be the right team. I want to get into a little bit more in terms of how you were able to recruit competitors, so-called competitors uh, from Facebook groups. Um, Facebook groups are one way, but I'm finding a lot of the groups, they don't want people posting these kinds of things. Uh, it's, it's tricky. It depends on the group, right? But I'm wondering, what are some other ways that we can go about finding these agency owners? Yeah, so I would just like, I wouldn't like post like, hey, I'm I'm recruiting. Because like, it would be like a spam post, right? I would just be like, hey, like, any other agencies feel like they're like stressed out, like they're overworking and like, just feel like you're working to the bone, not really making much from it. And like, people would just like comment like, yeah, like it's tough. Like agencies, life is tough. And like, I would just reach out to them via direct message and just be like, Hey, like I have this opportunity. Like I'm rebuilding my agency. I'm going to give you a piece of every retainer. Like you get, all you have to do is focus on sales, getting referrals, getting increases of spend from clients and getting clients to extend their contracts so that they, they retain and you get a piece of every deal. Like basically you have no expenses and you're going to make 10, 20, 30, 40 grand a month. And that's how we got people. Um, another thing is like we would hire a lot of setters, just like appointment setters who were like in the virtual space, but wanted to have a sales opportunity, like young kids, like right out of college. And um, then we would promote them to sales and account management. Those we kind of had to train from scratch, but that when we originally started, it was like six agency, previous agency owners. And I just found them in groups. So I just like posting those types of things, like finding the agency owners who were stressed out and like would love an opportunity just to have no expenses mm. and make 10, 20, 30, 40 grand a month residual. Like my top salesperson, like a couple months ago, like made like 65 grand. Like it was just like 
like you would have to have like a seven figure a year agency to like make that in a month. So like the fact that he can do that with zero expenses is like mind blowing, but that's, that's the potential. Like when you structure your agency in the right way, like your account managers see the unlimited potential. And that's really what it is. Like who's to say like your account manager can't have a hundred clients that they're managing. You know, who's to say that your account manager can't have 40 accounts and all of them be, you know, multiple six figure accounts a year. Like these are like some of our account managers that do this. Like we have one account manager who has like all these big accounts. Like he goes after big accounts. So he has less clients, but bigger accounts. Then we have another account manager who goes over all the small accounts. Like he's got like 120 small accounts and that's like his bread and butter. Like that's what he does. Like you kind of like build like these account managers like become like these like sub owners underneath you. They're independent contractors. They're like kind of like a franchisee. Like I, my attorney says I can't really use the word franchise, but like it's kind of like that. Like they're just leveraging off my brand and like they like kind of own their own agency underneath me, but I provide everything on the back end. So it's kind of like an agency in a box kind of way, mm. but it's like more. I still own 100% of the company, if that makes sense. Right. So they don't have any ownership. They're just getting residuals monthly. Correct. Wow, man. No kidding. See, I'm curious, how can you, I'm first of all curious what the the um, the behavioral assessment tool that you have, what that screens for, what the cognitive uh, biases were, or the, the um, personality traits, I guess, that you're looking for. Um, so let's get yeah, so, that. Yeah, for sure. So like, it asks like a series of questions and it takes like 30 minutes to fill out. It's not too long. And um, it has them rank different aspects of like behaviors in the work environment of like mm. what they prefer and what they don't prefer. And then it shoots out this report that basically shows like what type of person they are, what kind of worker they'll be. And when it comes to like the in-depth psych psychology analysis, it shoots out these 12 paradox graphs. So a paradox, as we know, is like two seemingly opposite things that are related. So for instance, one of these paradoxes is like where it's like a, it's like an X, Y graph. And on this side, it's, you know, the vertical side, it's uh, persistence. And then on the horizontal side, it's experimenting. Mm. So Someone, someone who's persistent is like always pursuing one singular goal. Like they're really persistent in achieving their one singular goal, their position. And then the experimenting is more of like, they're always willing to try new things, new and creative ways of doing things. But these are actual opposites because someone who's stubbornly persistent right. in one goal is going to do the same thing over and over and over again until they hit their goal. But mm -hmm. someone who's experimenting can always try different things and new different things. So it creates these four quadrants and then it scores them. So like if someone's like really high on the experimental score, but really low on the persistence goal score, they'll be considered non-finishing. And this is like common for agency owners or any entrepreneur really who right. starts a business. Yeah. They try all these different new creative things. And then they get like some shiny object syndrome and they get distracted and they go and build something else. You know, like so many agency owners have done this, like where they built their agency, but rather than like being stubbornly persistent in achieving their goal, reaching a million dollars a month, they got distracted by some other shiny object and they tried something new. They tried a different business. You know, they tried something else. So that's like an experimental score, but like not really high and persistent. But I always try to find people who are high and persistent and high and experimenting. 
basically they're going to do everything they can to achieve their one singular goal, but they're going to be willing to try and experiment with new and creative ways to do things. And that's where like someone would be in this quadrant in the upper right. And that would be someone who's inventive. So I only hire people who are inventive, who like are willing to try new things to achieve one goal, but like still persistent in achieving it. Um, because if someone's like really high in persistence, but really low in experimenting, then like they're stubbornly persistent, but like they will never try anything new to like solve their problems. They'll always try the same things and sometimes fail. So there's like 12 of these paradox graphs that like show all different capabilities, whether they're in leadership in communication mm. in like actually achieving their goals. And like, it really kind of shows me like whether this person is going to be able to be a leader or whether this person is going to just be a follower or whether this person's going to like burn out like what's going to keep them from like being retained long-term. Like it literally shoots out like everything I need to know about how to retain this person. So like it's, I call it predictive hiring, but I know in advance before I hire someone, whether they will be an employee for life or whether they'll fizzle out or whether like what I need to do to make sure that they don't fizzle out. And um, it's really, really effective. It's amazing. It was like designed by this like behavioral psychologist. And we got like a, partnership with them to be able to like offer to all of our students and it's like it's great it like really gives you like insight it's like prophetic and like the future of like wow. your hires it makes sure it's like really you're finding the right people and it's like really in depth like for instance like the agency life is like a really stressful life right because like with an agency it doesn't stop being stressful when you build it with my process still a stressful agency it's just that now you're redistributing all the stress to your account managers because they're the ones talking to the clients. They're the one dealing with the complaints. You're not doing it anymore as the owner. But the stress is just redistributed. But you know you need to make sure that you're hiring people with like a high stress management score from this behavioral assessment. They've got to be able to manage stress really well. And they have to have a low work-life balance score. So I tend to look for people who like love to work, like are workaholics almost because they're going to like thrive in that kind of environment. Whereas someone who has a really high work-life balance score, they want to like have a work-life balance. Like they don't end up doing well as an account manager because like if their client texts them at like eight o'clock at night, like they're not going to respond. They're just going to be like, I'm with my family. Like this is kind of a thing. So like I tend to try to go for people that are like on the younger side that like want the hustle, like want to make really good money. Like they have really high expectations for remuneration, like they want to make a lot of money and they're willing to take on the stress and the workloads to do so. So like, it's like, but like other departments like would be totally different. Like I'm looking for someone like super analytical in my operations or automations department, right, I'm looking for right. someone like super logical. So it's like all these different like things that like unveil what type of person is the right fit for, for each aspect of my agency. And um, it's a really great tool because before I use that, I would just hire the wrong people. Cause like, there are some people who interview really well, but then like when they get to the nitty gritty, like they're not, they're not good. They're not good employees, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. I'm so curious what the, um, what your, your take on the result of this is. I mean, hell, what's an example of a question that goes about eliciting these personality traits? Let's say just for an account manager, for a salesperson. Yeah. So it would just like rank like different things. Like, you know, I consider that I can manage stress really well. And like, they would rank that along with like 10 other things. And like, it would be like, um, you know, I am always trying to 
come up with a creative solution to fix a problem. Like I'm always willing to try new things. Like they'll rank that and that'll like determine their experimental score, right, their stress right. management score. And then like after they answer it like 10 times through, then it'll ask the same questions again, but like restructure them and have them rank other ones that they didn't rank before. And then like they just rank all of these different like scenarios. And then it kind of creates like this really accurate portrayal. And it gives you like an accuracy score. So like if people are honest, they'll be like 90 percentile or above. If someone's dishonest, like they'll be below 90%. Like it might be like 79% or 83% because like they know like they're contradicting themselves with some of the things that they're ranking. Ah, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? So in a different way it, later on in the report, as opposed to how it was earlier on, and they don't catch that as they're filling it out. It's interesting. Yeah. So sometimes we have people like take it again. We're like, Hey, like you have to take it again. Like you have to like mm. really focus and like really think about what you're doing and like make sure it's hundred percent accurate, you know, like, Cause like we can tell by your answers, you're just trying to tell us like what you think we want to know, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So it's like, it's just like ranking all these different scenarios. Like I like this or like I do this or I prefer this or I don't prefer this. And like, they just rank all these different things. And like, you do that like 30 times and then like it comes up with like all the behavioral scores and everything. And it gives you like really, really in-depth, like, like you really know a lot about this person after they fill this out. Like it's really in depth. Like it tells you everything you need to know about this potential person, like ranks all these different things, gives scores from like two to 10. It's like a two to 10 ratio scale. And like, you can really know like how this person communicates, like how they prefer to be communicated to uh, what the team dynamic will be, like how they will work on a team, like how, whether they could be a leader or not. Like, and like, you can actually put in like, potential jobs like i could put in like an operations role or i could put in like a salesperson with customer service focus and it'll actually like rate all their scores to that job and like do color coding and like they like like so if i have five candidates all like for the same job like it'll give them a score a suitability score like which one matches the most and that's like sometimes like really good because like there might be two people out of those five who interviewed really well, but one of them is just like way above the other ones when it comes to the assessment and then they get the job. Mm. You know, so it doesn't only help with getting the right people. It helps with getting them long-term, which fits exactly in with the account manager position. Um, yeah, it's fascinating, man. What's the number one thing that you found um, is the, the the differentiator between somebody who's likely to succeed as opposed to somebody who's likely to fail? Yeah. So I think that when it comes to like their pressure tolerance, like that mm. is the biggest thing, mm. like how much pressure can they tolerate? Because right. I mean, the cool thing about our business is that we're doing a lot of volume. Like we've got over 500 clients at any given time. Um, so like everyone's busy. So like I don't really have to worry about like, Oh, it's a remote position or anyone just kind of kicking back and like not working like it'll be very obvious if someone on the team is not working. Like it's very clear that like they're kicking back and not doing anything. Um, and we've had that happen a couple of times. We had a lot of people go, but like, you know, because it's such a busy agency and we have like a relatively small staff considering how much volume we're doing. Um, everyone's going to be pushed to their limits. Like everyone's going to be pushed to their limits at some point, sometimes for like consistent months on end, like, like where like our operations team, like since we're doing so much volume, like we've had, like we've broken softwares 
Like we've broken lead pages. We've broken uh, jot form. We've broken like some of these like softwares that like we rely on for our business. Like since we're doing so much volume, so many clients, so many different, you know, campaigns being built. Like sometimes the softwares glitch out and they break and we have to like rebuild everything all over again. Like this has happened a bunch of times with like a bunch of our different software CRMs and stuff. And so the operations team is just like, have to keep up with all their current workload, but then also like fix all these problems and glitches mm -hmm. and stuff. And like, sometimes like last year was like a really bad year for the ops team. Like they just went through the ringer, like working overtime, stuff like that and pay them overtime, like just getting some of this stuff done. And like, they were just like pushed their limits. And if I didn't hire people that like had a high pressure tolerance, like they would have given up. And stress management is a big one too. Like I will never hire anyone with less than like a five or a six in stress, stress management out of 10. Like if they're below a six, like I'm not hiring them because they'll just, at some point they're going to buckle under the pressure. Right. Then you don't want somebody who's a 10 because then you're hiring psychopaths and then you got to be careful with the results you're getting because they're going to be promising things that, you know, like you said, it's short term as opposed to somebody who's in it for the long game and <laughs> residuals coming out. Uh, so you're looking for somebody, yeah. you know, six or seven or eight or nine, but somebody who's a 10 in stress management is pro probably a psychopath. So you got to be careful there, right? Yeah. It's, it's not so much a psychopath. It's more of like, they manage stress so well that like they're so relaxed that they won't push themselves. Interesting. Right. Like, if someone, true, if someone man. has a really high, someone has a really high stress management score, it means like they're not stressed enough, you know, like they're not pushing right. themselves enough. Yeah. So it's like almost like they're too relaxed. They're too like nonchalant about getting the job done. Like that's also a red flag. Hmm. What's the number one trait that you found in salespeople that is a key indicator that they're going to succeed? Optimism optimism interesting you're looking for somebody yeah. who's got that optimistic viewpoint of in terms of somebody's going to close this deal today i don't know who it is but one of these people are going to close and that's the optimistic <laughs> not even just that it's, it's not even just like on a per sale basis it's more just like their overall outlook on life mm. because you know like there are going to be some seasons where you know it's tougher like you know they might go through a rut and like the only way they're going to get out of that rut is if they look on the bright side most of the time, you know? Um, and like, that's something that like I'm weak in. Like I'm more of like a realistic, pessimistic person by nature. And like, I have to like convince myself to stay positive. And so I, I know how difficult that is for me. And like, it has like been a challenge for me. Like I will only hire account managers that have an optimistic view on life because it's just too challenging to train someone who's naturally pessimistic how to be optimistic. Like it can happen. You could force yourself to be optimistic, like against all of your like um, cells in your body, but it's like a lot more challenging mm. to do so. Like I have to work on that on like a regular basis. Um, and it's like, it's challenging sometimes, but like for someone who's like, it comes natural to them, it's so much easier for them to succeed. Now you talked about the failure that you had in 2009 when fa or 2019 when Facebook gave you the ban hammer. They said, bye, Felicia, get off yeah. the platform, you know? 
So it's like, yeah. you learn from that, dude. That's a huge setback. I had something similar happen to me, man. I was running an Instagram agency in 2017, 2018, and Instagram changed their algorithms when they were purchased by Facebook. And all of a sudden, my my automation stopped working overnight. And they all got ghost banned. You know, they couldn't, none of my services were working anymore. And so I lost all my clients the same way. So, dude, what's something that you learned from that experience? Yeah. So for me, I learned that, you know, Napoleon Hill said something which really resonated with me, which was every single difficulty or struggle or bad circumstance that happens in life is the seed for an equivalent or greater benefit. Mm -hmm. So like, if you just look at like every negative thing that ever happens to you, every difficulty every challenge is like a seed planted that's going to grow like something better a better blessing like that's the right perspective right like like i told you like i had to train myself to like think optimistically and like napoleon hill is like a really key writer for me to like help me think optimistically um to maintain that positive mental attitude and so for me like originally when it happened, I was like, oh man, like I'm just going to start another business. I'm going to do something else. Like I can't do this anymore. Like everything shut down. I had to lay off everyone, lost all my clients. And like, it's, it seemed like, like there was no getting around it. Right. But then I just decided like, Hey, like maybe I'll just do Google and YouTube, you know? So we actually transitioned and went back to all of our old clients. We got a couple of them to come back and like put them on Google and YouTube. And like the results were like so much better. Like our clients got better results, better quality leads, better appointments. Like they were closing more deals and that contributed a lot to like our retention going up. So our retention was going up because our leads were better too. And like I restructured it with this account manager structure. So we went from 71,000 a month to 2 million a month in one year. So like, it was actually like a blessing in disguise that when Facebook shut us down, like that opened the door for Google and YouTube. Probably I would have never like started running YouTube ads or Google ads for my agency because frankly, Facebook was easy. Like it was easy to run campaigns on Facebook. It was an easy business, but like on a difficulty scale, like Google and PPC and YouTube ads are like significantly more difficult than running Facebook ads. Um, especially for our industry, because at that time the industry was just growing. It was like really easy. Um, but it was a challenge at first to like get onto Google and YouTube and like figure it out. But we figured it out and it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to our business. Wow, man. Yeah, it's fascinating. These setbacks can also be, you know, it's that it's that paradoxical nature to the, the universe that we're in, you know, that's the, uh, yeah, that's what it comes down to, man. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes the worst, the, paradox, the worst things that yeah. happen. Yeah. The worst things that happen sometimes turn into like the best things. Yeah. Right. I mean, the image that comes to mind is there's a tree in Mexico that the roots, apparently, this is this is actually true, apparently, the roots take exactly the same shape as the, the branches do above ground. So it's a symmetrical yeah. tree. And that's what I'm thinking is is the setback or the roots, the the under the ground, the negative, if you will, the black. And then if you look at above ground, it's the, that symmetrical blossoming that wouldn't have been able to take place without the, the so-called negative underneath the, the ground. So it's that the whole black and white dichotomy that's really one at the end of the day. It's extremely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man. Wow. Um, dude, anything else that uh, you would recommend to an agency owner that you think would change the game for them? Yeah. So 
a big thing, like I have a list in the million dollar month blueprint of like my 10 unorthodox agency secrets, I call them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like 10 things that I've done in my agency that pretty much no other agency does. And one of those things is something I call the control the ad spend secret. So we actually charge our clients for the ad spend and run the ad spend in our accounts. And, um, the reason we do that is because of that thing that we just talked about when Facebook shut us down. So normally an agency structures their setup by having the client add that, the agency to their Facebook page, add the agency to their business manager, and then they get added on and they run the ads, right? The problem with that model is, is that the client at any point in time can just with one click remove you from everything, steal all of your ads and just take it over and never pay you again. And that happens countless times to so many agencies who try, who, who use that traditional framework. So I knew when I started my original agency, I wasn't going to do it that way. Like I wasn't going to do it that way. I was going to do everything on my business manager, but I still had the clients use their credit cards to pay for the ad spend. So when I had the clients pay for the ad spend from their credit cards, it created this snowballed problem where, you know, we had 120, 150 clients at one point at our peak before we got shut down on Facebook and like solar professionals, they're like contractors, right? Like they're infamous for like mismanaging cash flow. So like oftentimes 10% to 15% of all the credit cards on a given day would decline on Facebook. Now we weren't, you know, not we weren't following like it wasn't like we weren't following all the ad policies like all of our ads were compliant they all got approved they rarely got rejected we weren't doing anything shady the reason why we got shut down by facebook was because of the consistent card declines because having your card decline on a consistent basis is a violation of the facebook ad policies like they want to get paid so that's why like facebook now changed it so like where credit card declines if it declines a couple times like they'll just ban your credit card and you have to use a different credit card now on mm. Facebook. So like, it's a serious thing. Like when cards are declining for Facebook in Facebook's mind. So when we had like a bunch of our clients declining their charges, sometimes we'd be left with a bill uh, mm. on our business manager from that client and they never paid. So we ended up having to pay off some of these uh, bills, these $900 bills in the Facebook ad account because the client ghosted us and the card declined. There's no way to collect it. We had to like, clear the bill but even still like it just got to a point where like the declines were so consistent that they just shut us down and we even rented some other business managers from like other people and the same thing happened like it like followed us wherever we went just because the card declines so what i decided to do when i rebuilt my agency from scratch again was hey you know what i'm not going to do this anymore i'm just going to charge the clients for the adsman and then I'm going to run the ads on my credit card. So I know it never declines. And it's crazy because like I get almost like a million dollars in cash back from like all the ad spend that we run like every year. It's like crazy. But, like it's a revenue driver. It's a revenue driver for us because we get the cash back credit card points mm -hmm. and it actually gives us better results with Google and YouTube and Facebook and all the platforms because now our cars never decline. We actually get, better results than like other um, clients because we always pay on time and um, we get better support. Like we, I have like, like my Google rep 
like is at the San Francisco office right now. I can call him up right now and be like, Hey, how are our campaigns doing? And like, he'll like pull it up and like, let us know like tips and stuff. Like I have like a direct access to like Google's headquarters because of the level of amount of money that we spend on a regular basis. And it's all in one account. So like, it's like we get that superior support. Mm. Whereas when you split it up across, like they have a hundred clients, you have it all in different ad accounts, all in different business managers. You're never going to get that level of support. You know what I mean? So controlling the ad spend is not only a revenue driver with the credit card cashback points. Um, I don't travel much. Like uh, I could literally travel the world for free if I wanted to because of all the points. But instead I just offer the cashback because I just fly private to my beach house in Malibu and back home to Vegas. And that's like most of the traveling I do. Life's I don't, rough, I don't eh? want. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. Like, I don't want. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to like leave the country. Like I'm afraid to leave the country ever since COVID. Like I'm like afraid to leave the United States, but like, I don't know. I feel like that's going to change. Like I'm going to like have, like I'm going to try to like buy a property in Belize, I think just in case I have to leave the country. Mm. Like just in case like the United States goes to like, hell in a handbasket and I've got to like leave the country. So um, I'm like working on that now, but like, I don't really want to like get stuck somewhere. Cause I feel like anything can happen. Like we're like, I'm, I'm going to be stuck in Mexico someday or something. You know? <laughs> but anyway, anyway, like I don't use the travel points, right. I use the cashback stuff. So the cashback is like, I mean, I just see it as a revenue driver for us, like a, more profit margins for us. Like we're making 3% on all the ad spend. So you know, that's an important thing. And we even charge like a compliance fee, which is for like making sure all the ads are compliant making sure we're following all like the TCPA laws and stuff like that. But also it's like an ad spend like surcharge because um, it's a lot of risk, like handling all the ad spend on our account. Right. So we charge clients an additional fee on top of everything to account for that. So we actually end up like making like five to 7% net profit off of all the ad spend that we collect. So sometimes people say like, oh, like you're at 4 million a month. Well, how much of that is ad spend? Well, yeah, like half of it's ad spend. So like, you know, if we're at 4 million a month and 2 million is ad spend and 2 million is retainers. Like it's still pretty sick that we got 2 million in retainers. Um, still pretty amazing. But the 2 million in ad spend, I'm making five to 7% on every month anyway, from like the cashback points plus the compliance fees that we charge on that. So, mm. um, compliance, it's fees. really interesting. Yeah. I like that term. Yeah. Huh. How do yeah. you manage it logistically, so like, though, dude? Like, do you, do you build them up front? Let's say that you're spending a thousand bucks a day. Do you build them 30 grand at the, at the beginning of the month? Yeah. We build them monthly at the beginning of the month cycle. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah, some clients wire, some clients pay on card, but like, you know, like some of our bigger clients who are like six figure a month accounts, like pay via wire um, just for like the added security there. Yes, we do get some chargebacks with ad spend, but our agreements are so solid. We win 99% of all of our chargebacks. So even though it sucks sometimes that, you know, people charge back ad spend, which we've already spent, we always get that money back. So it's not a big deal. Yeah, man, I hate that shit. Some people trying to get something for nothing, man. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bad experiences too, dude. Um, well, brother, uh, is there a question that I've asked or that I should have asked but didn't ask um, that would provide a maximum amount of value for the listener? Yeah. So, like, if anyone wants to check out, um, like, I'm terrible at organic. Like, I never did organic anything. Like, I've always believed, like, what Dan Kennedy said whoever is willing to pay the most to acquire customer win wins. Like I'm always running a lot of ads for my agency or for my coaching program, but I'm starting like 
like my old Instagram account. It's just like my old account from like when I started Instagram in my twenties, but I'm going to start like posting some more content on there. So if you want to follow me, it's at the rich Fiola, um, at the rich Fiola, F E O L A. I'm going to start posting a bunch of content for the advisory program there. Um, you could check out, uh, advisory on Facebook, advisory.com so it's ad-advisory.com if you want to learn more about the million dollar month blueprint one-on-one coaching with me and then um yeah happy to help any agencies that want to either get to 100 grand a month you could use our lower price program if you want to get to a million dollars a month you know we have our flagship million dollar month blueprint also with the option for the inner circle where you can get all my sops and have one-on-one access to me and i'll walk you through how i would scale your agency like if i was in your shoes so I think it's been really helpful for a lot of people and um, you could check us out online. I love it, man. Hell yeah, dude. I appreciate your time today, Rich. Uh, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I think like for agencies, like I think we've just like gotten to the point where we've just accepted the fact that like, hey, like a hundred grand a month is like really good. Like I see so many like coaches just like, hey, like we'll help you reach seven figures. And like, like there's even people like who have like seven figure agency as like the name of like their coaching program. It's like, you know, like I didn't want to coach anyone in the agency space until like, I reached nine figures. And the reason for that was because I wanted to show like people what it was actually possible, like, what was actually possible. Because I think like if you're learning from coaches who are just like, here's how to get to seven figures, like number one, have they even gotten to seven figures themselves? Maybe they have. But like, don't you want to learn from someone who's like gotten to eight figures or nine nine figures to like get to seven figures? I feel like they would know how to do it a lot faster than someone who's only reached seven figures. You know what I mean? So I just think that we just need to like stop thinking in the agency world. Cause like we all come from like a lot of agency owners come from like this freelancing background, right? They were all freelancers in the back in the past. And like they were content making five grand a month, 10 grand a month. So they think making 50 grand a month or hundred grand a month is like amazing. Like I even have some students who are like, oh, my goal is just to get to like 200 grand a month. I was like, why is that your goal? Like, you know, like, why can't you build something amazing? Like, why can't you build something huge? Like, why can't you become like the most dominant player in your industry like we have? Like, why are you like setting your sights so much lower? Mm-hmm. You know, so I really think agency owners just really need to like believe and conceive in their mind that it's possible to reach seven figures a month and that they will achieve it. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Rich Fiola, I appreciate you, brother. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you too, man. All right. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, go to kylesbook.com and you can get a copy there. I'll talk with you soon.